You can take your Bible, please turn to Acts chapter 17. We were there last week. I want to go back again today, tonight, and uh, whatever time it takes. I want to finish this message, and it's a big message. Last week we looked at this chapter in this respect. Verse 15 says that they conducted Paul and brought him unto Athens. Last week we looked at what Paul saw. He saw a city that was wholly given to idolatry a city that was soaked in philosophy and a city that was sinking in superstition. And then we talked about what Paul did. He took a stand and he spoke. He spoke against the idolatry, but he also spoke for Christianity, the gospel. Gave them the gospel. And so... We ended right there. This morning I want to, I want to uh, start in verse 22 and uh, go a little further. Verse 22 says, Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens... I perceive in all things you're too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this instruction, with this inscription, to the unknown God. Here's my subject for today. Paul is going to preach. He said, Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. I'm not going to read the rest of the text. I'm going to try to preach the rest of the text. Paul is going to begin with there. Someone said that this is a homiletic uh, masterpiece. Paul began with their ignorance, their superstition, and their lack of knowledge of the gospel. And he declared God unto them and then invited them that they might know him as well. My old rule that I used in the homiletic class is tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And so this morning I want to try, I'm going to try to tell you what he told them in a way that you can understand it and then give you an invitation as he gave them to receive this. Somebody said, well, God's too big to understand. I agree with that. This Bible's too big to understand. We'll never understand it. I've been preaching 40-something years now, and it's, uh, it's bigger than I can get around. But somewhere along the way, I got a rule that I set down in my own heart I could never understand the Bible. There's too many crooks and turns that I've, I've yet to make. But if I could just ever accomplish Genesis 1-1, that'd be a pretty good thing, wouldn't it? If I could understand Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, in the beginning God created is that the way it goes? In the beginning, God, I'm going to say it right, created the heaven and the earth. Can you understand that? Why, no. I can't understand any creation. Never will. Can you accept that by faith? I don't know what kind of battles you've done with understanding and faith. I can remember a day when I found a verse over in Peter said, 
one day with the Lord's a thousand years and a thousand years one day. And so I took that all the way back to Genesis and said, okay, I'll understand it this way. Every thousand-year day, God created something. I carried that around a while, finally got under conviction about it. God can do anything he wants to, anytime he wants to, and any amount of time he wants to. And you better get, if you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. If you could believe that, that's faith enough to believe the Bible. And, uh, and if you can believe Genesis 1-1, you can believe the whole Bible. You deny it, you reason around it, you weasel out on it. Uh, then you've got trouble with the whole Bible. So here, I don't know everything that Paul preached. I'm going to preach some of it. But I do know, I do, I, I believe I do know this. I believe, here's his title. He gave it to you in verse 23. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So I took that to present-day English, and it goes this way. The God you don't know is the God I do know. Let me declare him unto you. That's what he said. And he took them from heathen, idol worshipers, all the way up to the God of creation, the God of revelation, the God of uh, government, the God of salvation, and brought them to a place that you read the rest of the chapter, you'll find out some of them accepted him. Everybody makes a decision. You've already made a decision about the Bible as I've talked about it. Some of you said, I can't understand it. I don't even want to understand it. And you want to understand it. Somebody else said, well, I understand part of it. I just got doubts about some of it. Get settled on it. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that cometh unto God must believe that he is. You, can you get that far? And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When you get there, you get all the way over in the heart of Jesus. And you've got salvation. You ought to get it settled in your heart. Either I do or I don't. I am or I'm not a Bible believer. It's important. Everything out there in that world is saying don't believe it. There's a new... Revelation out here somewhere. Science has got a new answer. But you see the confusion of the world out there, don't you? Yeah. That's right. Can you see that, that mass confusion? And there's a deep, subtle peace that's available to you as you rest yourself in the God that you don't know the God Paul did know, the God has been preached to us, and the God that we now accept. Hey, that's the walking orders of this church. If we don't get there, we're not a church. We're settled on the fact that Jesus Christ is God. And so I want to I want to give I want to give you the best I can a rendition of Paul's message. Some of you guys, some of you young preachers, uh, you know, you go here, there, read this, that. You want to build your message. and We all use other. Warren Wiersbe said, I milk a lot of cows, but I make my own butter. That's the secret. You read it over there and over there and over there, but Bring it all together and let God put it in your heart and preach it. That's the way we do it. And so I just want to give you, I, I grant you a pretty poor rendition of Paul's sermon. I won't get near what he got, I'm sure. But look at verse 24. Verse 24. 
He says, he said, uh, God that made the world and, and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. I'm going to stop right there and talk just a little bit about the God of creation and the God of determination who, who uh, if we get that far, we'll see the greatness of God. Uh, I've already mentioned Genesis 1-1. In my own heart, I had to come to a place that I could accept a six-day, six, 24-hour-day six, creation. You'll have to get there yourself. If, you, if you're going to accept God as God, you'll have to get there. Else you'll be a God-denier. You'll be an agnostic. A Gnostic. That, word, that Greek word Gnostic means that, that he knows all things. And that, you put ag in the front of any Greek word, and it, it means it's a, it's a denier. He, he, he doesn't know all things. He doesn't know anything. Agnostic. He, he can't be sure. He can come to the Bible. He's a little stirred and wonders about it, but he can't get settled on it. Get settled on it. It's either word the Word of God or it's not, and you need to settle it in your heart. You need to settle it today. The greatness of God. Can God? And so, so the, and then I'm, I'm going to move everything I'm going to go to. I don't, I don't have time to go into first and the first and second chapter of of Genesis, but you could go there. You'll see in in Genesis chapter one, it is it's 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 Elohim, the the God, the self-contained God. He's going to say down here, uh, He gives life and breath to all things, and uh, He's not worshipped. But He doesn't need anything. Verse twenty-five. He doesn't need anything from you. He doesn't need anything from me. That's, that's Genesis chapter 1, when God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let the sea and the earth separate, and it separated. And God said, let the trees grow, and the birds fly, and the stars be hung, and the sun shine. And, and everything he said became fact. S.M. Lockridge said it this way. He said, God stepped out on nothing reached back into nothing, grabbed a handful of nothing, threw it out into nothing, and nothing became something when God said it. He doesn't need anything. Elohim, the self-contained, multi-uni-plural God. That, That word means... We don't have unit plural nouns in our in English, but in in the Hebrew that that unit plural, the three in one God, the God who does not need anything from anybody. But over in Genesis chapter two, I'm not I don't have time to go and find it for you and preach it. But in Genesis chapter two, when God said, "Let us." Remember when God said, let us make man in our own image? He's not talking now as Elohim. Now it's Jehovah Elohim. And Jehovah Elohim is is the name for Jesus Christ. And over in John chapter 1 it says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was with, uh, and by Him was all. Let me just go there before I mess it up. 
Word, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Go over to Colossians with me. Chapter number 1, verse 15. He says in, uh, he says in 13, I'm just going to reference here, breaking into a big long sentence. <clears throat> in 13, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of, here's what I want to underline, his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. Brother John taught that in Sunday school this morning. Now listen, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature? We're talking about Jehovah. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Y'all get that? Jehovah Elohim worked. Elohim, ten times in or so in, in chapter 1, he said, he saw what he had made, and it was good, and it was good, and it was good. And then he said it was very good, and then he said of Adam, but it's not good. Something's lacking in Adam. And, and he, he became he, uh, the Jehovah who dealt with Adam. And he says in John 1.18 this, that no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So if we talk about God, uh, He's just a vague idea to this world. And He would be to us had He not demonstrated Him. You remember those uh, Jews? They had the vision of Genesis or of Abraham over Genesis or they had the vision of of uh, Joshua down there at, at the river or some that, that they went from one vision to the next vision to the next vision and all of those visions pointed to and then it got down to the prophets the prophets prophesied and they're all pointing and one day down there by the River Jordan, John the Baptist is baptizing and preaching and, and turns around and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Those Jews for, for those thousands of years have been looking for the Christ child. And unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. We're coming up on the celebration of that. Here, but we celebrate it because we look back to that cross and back to that Savior. Back, they refused to accept Him because they were still looking for, and they're still look, they're still standing where they were 2,500 years ago or whatever it was, uh, looking for a Savior to come. Understand it? He's already come. And so he said, he took us out of that kingdom of darkness and set us into the kingdom of his dear son. And now he, now Jehovah is present in this thing of creation. Not only in the creation, but look at it here. Verse number 25. The greatness of God in creation, but the goodness of God in provision. Neither is worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything. Listen to this. Seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. The, the psalmist said, take a deep breath. Now then, everything that hath breath." Praise the Lord. I mean, if you're going to get another breath, it's up to God. 
He gives us life and breath. And all, hey, we've had a great week, haven't we? I mean, a lot of turkey, a lot of ham, a lot of bologna and all that kind of stuff. But, but we've had a great week this week. God gave us this week. We've got a great, it's a great, I, every week to me, Sunday is the highlight of the week. Coming together with the people of God, the brethren, the, meeting in that prayer room back there to start the day and, and, and just allowing the goodness of God in the hearts of his people to minister to me. I need that. You may not need it, but I need it. I believe we all need it. We're here this morning. The sun's shining. And he's on the throne. He's still in charge. He rules in the affairs of men. Daniel said there's a God in heaven. He's my God. Paul's saying, let me tell you about the God I know. Hey, you can know his blessing. You can know that joy of his provision. He says in verse number, uh, Colossians uh, chapter number 1, again, he said all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And you could be a, you could be a holy man up on a mountain somewhere, but if you leave him out, you, you've missed it. You may, be, you may be able to dissect that Old Testament and take it apart and tear up those Hebrew words, but if you miss Jesus, you've missed him. Paul said, let me tell you about the God I know. Now, I've got some notes down here in my, in my... See, he said, he's not worshipped with men's hands. He's way too great for that. You couldn't reach him. I couldn't reach him. You jump off the highest uh, mountain in Colorado, you couldn't reach him. You'd still miss him by a million miles. But he reaches to us. He's, he's too great for us to reach, but his goodness is too great. He giveth to all life, breath, all things. I've got, I've got down here in my points. He determines our race. Look at it. He's made us all of one blood, all nations of men. You go back over there to Genesis. He's going to say to those, uh, to Adam and Eve outside the outside of Eden. He said, "You, you multiply and replenish the earth. You live on this earth and." And those nations are scattered all over the earth by His grace. But the song said, red or yellow, black or white, they are precious in His sight. And so He, just, he, he determines, our, uh, hey, we are, a, we are humankind. We are, uh, ladies, don't, don't, give, don't get that feminist idea. It's mankind. Mankind is short for man and womankind. It's just short, God's shorthand in the Bible, I guess. But we are a, hey, Susie and I was over at some people's house one day and, and they, we'd just been married and they were, they were uh, having prowlers in the neighborhood and they were talking about, well, it was a certain kind of blood Somebody saw blood on the fence. They knew, they knew it was a, one of those nationalities. You can't do that. If you go down there to the blood bank, they'll take your blood, no matter what color you are, and we'll blend it all together, and nobody can tell it apart when you get through with it. He made us all of one blood. Can you? 
handle that. Mankind. He, he determines our race. Let's see what I got here. He reveals his face. 114, we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Over in 14 of, of, of John, chapter 9, 14, verse 9, Jesus said, Have I been so long with you, and yes, you hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me and has seen, has seen the Father, how sayest thou then, show us the Father? Don't you want to just get up close to him? To get the blessings of God in the middle of you. That's what he's saying. He determines, he, to, he, he reveals his face. He determines our race, our place, our, our face. He reveals his face. Verse 27. That they should seek the Lord. He said, he said I've, I'm, and he had made them all of one blood of all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth and hath determined the time before appointed the bounds of their habitation. That they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not very far from every one of us. He, could I say this to you? I've asked you a lot of questions about what you believe. And somebody's Somebody by now is saying, well, I don't know what I believe. Why don't you just trust him and give everything you've got to him and let him become your stabilizer. Let him become your anchor. Let him become the peace that passes all understanding in your soul. Quit fighting it. Let him be what he wants to be in you. That's, that's the God I serve. I get troubled in my heart. You know, the best thing I can do is, is just shut up, sit down, and let him work in my soul. Get my book out, read a verse or two. Just ask him to show me himself again. Refresh myself in him. He is the God of revelation. See, he reveals not only his face, he reveals his grace. Amen. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I don't care what you join. I don't care where you're baptized. I don't care what kind of verses you can quote. I don't know what kind of creed you can say. But until you give your heart to Jesus... And trust him by faith. Then his grace takes over. I'm glad I'm not living the law. I'm glad, hey, if it depended on me uh, being perfect in the law, the Bible says if you've failed in one point of the law, you're guilty of all the law. I failed in one point of the law before I got out of bed this morning, probably. The best five minutes I ever lived wouldn't get me to heaven. But Jesus Christ and his righteousness by grace given unto me. Take Look at it. Over to, over to uh, Titus, he said, it's not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. While we were sinking in sin, he reached to us. And uh, he, he, he reveals our place. Would you go to Ephesians? We're going to be here just a little bit. Ephesians. See, Paul said in verse number, let me read now. He said in 27 that they should seek after the Lord. If happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far. 28. Hey, Baptist, get a hold of this. It's not my position or your position. It's not my achievement or your achievement. It's not what we can do. It's what he does. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your poets have said, 
for we also are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is made like gold or silver or stone or graven by art and men's device. The God of revelation, he revealed his grace. The God of repentance, he's going to say something about that. Verse 30, the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So, Here's, here's the doctrine of repentance. He's revealed himself. And somebody here might say, well, I've heard that all my life, but I'm not saved. You never will be saved until you repent. He said, that verse said, he commands all men everywhere to repent. The doctrine, it's a Bible doctrine, you must repent. I got some stuff wrote down here. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse number uh, 1 and 2, came out of the wilderness preaching, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Chapter 4, I think it's 417, yeah, 417. Jesus, from that point, said, Begin to preach and say, Repent ye. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I would say if those two preached it, it's probably a pretty valid doctrine, wouldn't you say? Paul says over in in uh, Second Corinthians, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'll read it. Second Corinthians seven nine says, "Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance." Being sorry for my sin, I turn from my sin to his righteousness. That's repentance. Turning away from what I could accomplish. Could I say this? In our day, this this loose doctrine leaves repentance out of salvation in this respect. They're saying, uh, you hear it on every radio and TV, they're saying, if you'll just invite him in your heart, you can be saved. Well, that's true up to a point, but it's not totally true. Until there is Holy Ghost conviction over your sin, over your sin status. And until you take the mind of God and turn from what you think and what you can do and what you can be, over to what God wants you to be and God wants to do, that's repentance. When you turn, you've repented. You understand what I'm saying? That's per- I know that's pretty... It's essential to salvation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's what Second Corinthians 5.17 says. Old things pass away, all things become new. That cannot happen in you or me. That only happens as God does a work in our hearts. And so, repentance. He said, in verse 9 now, Second Corinthians 7, I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner. Sometimes God wants us to be miserable in our sin. Sometimes he'll put the squeeze on us to get us where he wants us to be. Uh, Verse 10. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Y'all got it? Not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. Oh, I I wish I could preach that to my family this morning. I wish I could just somehow get them to see that all the glitter and glamour of this world all becomes grinding and heartache and tears and sorrow. And there's no relief from that. But, but that day that I wept my way to Jesus, 
that day when I was sorry for my sins and turned from my sins and received him. Wow. What he did that day. What a joy to be a child of God. What a joy to have the presence of Jesus Christ in my life. Paul said, if you could just know my God, if, you could, if I could tell you about my God so you could understand my God, if I could, if, hey, I could take you back through 70 years of winding dark old holes and bad traps and Satan's playgrounds and, and, and every time. A just man falls seven times and gets up again. Every time. Here comes Jesus with his grace again, just about the time I need it. And he picked me up and put me... Hey, if you knew my God. Paul said, if you just knew my God. I was, he, he's going to say, I'm the chief of sinners. And he came where I was. The doctrine of repentance... Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, uh, I believe it's three times, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. I would say it's not just a doctrine, but it's an essential doctrine of the Bible, of salvation. If you do not repent, you can't be saved. There's a whole group, and some of them are Baptists saying, you don't have to repent. Uh, God, you just jump in, God will save you. No, that's not what the Bible says. There's got to be a change. And it's called repentance. But I love this part of this verse 10. I hang, I've got this marked in red in my Bible. Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Here's the red part. Not to be repented of. I had a good friend years ago. He used to say, I'm so saved it's pitiful. He said, I couldn't get unsaved if I wanted to. You see, that's what that verse says. Somebody said, you Baptists, y'all are preaching that, that easy that easy thing, you can't ever lose your salvation. It's not easy. It's not easy on our part. It's easy on his part. But when we have repented and accepted him, he said, you don't ever have to repent of it. You'll never back out of that contract. You have a contract with God. And he's going he's gonna to give us, I got I to gotta get moving here. I don't know where, where the clock is. Uh, so, so the, the doctrine of... Let's, let's go one more place. Matthew. Matthew chapter number 21. We talked about the doctrine of repentance and the, and the uh, essential, effectual work of repentance. But I want to show you an illustration of repentance. It's pretty simple. Jesus gave it in Matthew chapter number 21. 21, 28. This is not a parable. This is a fact. But what think ye? A certain man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work. Today in my vineyard. I know there's a I know there's a group of folks saying that if you get saved, you can name it and claim it, you'll never have to work. If, you, if grandma ever got sick, she uh, you know, if she ever took an aspirin, she is out of the will of God. She all she had to do is pray and get healed and it'd be okay, huh? Well, in my seventy years experience it hadn't been that way. I mean, there's been plenty of days when I had trouble, plenty of days when I had sorrow, plenty of days when it didn't go smooth. But look what it says. He said, go work. Nobody wants to hear that word, do we? That guy said, I'm not afraid of work. I can lay down beside it and sleep all day. 
There's a work to do. When he, when he said, pray you the Lord of the harvest, he'd send forth laborers. What do you think laborers do? I, I spent the first five or six years of my career as a laborer in the oil field. Now, you don't have to know anything to be a laborer. You don't have to be very bright to be a laborer. You don't even have to be prepared to be a laborer. You just have to be willing to work and do what somebody says do. That's all he's asking for. And that's what he's calling the sons of the Father to do. You getting it? And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward, he repented and went. There's somebody sitting right here that said, I will not. You know what God wants you to do, but you're not doing it. You said, I will not. He came to the second and said, Likewise, and he answered and said, I go, sir, but he went not. There's been folks come down this aisle, join this church, joining this church. They take the covenant of the church. The covenant says, I'm going to be a worker for the Lord. I'm going to serve the Lord right here in this place. What they said was, I will, sir, but where are they at now? Couldn't find them with the FBI. God called you and you repented. You now are his servant. You getting it? There's no place to back out on the contract. It's not to be repented of. But the day you sign up is just the beginning. From then it's work. The old song said, well, we'll work till Jesus comes. And then we'll be carried home. It's going to be a great day one day. In the meantime, there's tears, heartaches, blisters, uh, bony fingers, all kinds of stuff. But there's a joy of the Lord that, that carries us through all of it. I mean, there's nothing like knowing that you're in the will of God. Nothing. So... Repentance. I got a verse I want to read you. In over in Ephesians chapter one, and I'm gonna be done. Ephesians chapter one. I've got more than one verse, but I don't want to be deceitful. We got two or three verses to read. Ephesians chapter one. If I could find Ephesians, I'd get there with you. Ephesians one. Verse six says let's, let's read verse five. Here's what God has appointed. I'm going to start in verse 4. According as he has chosen us, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You understand this? You don't serve Metropolitan Baptist Church. You don't serve the preacher. You don't serve the deacons. You don't. We serve him. That's, Paul said, that's the God I serve. And we serve him in love. Having been predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. So, there is the there is this uh, redemption that brings us to a place. Here's two places. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He has made us accepted in the Beloved. Isn't it wonderful to know this? 
Yeah, I sinned yesterday. I sinned the day before. I've sinned this week. And if God, if God was like most of us are, He would have thrown me out a long time ago. But I'm not before Him in my in Wayne Hudson. That verse says, "He hath made me accepted in the beloved." I'm before Him in Christ. He look, He looks at Christ when he sees me. And he has made us accepted in that beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That's verse 7. We have redemption in verse 7. The to whom's. Verse number 13. No, verse 11 in whom we have obtained an inheritance. I've got a home prepared over on the other side. He's promised me an inheritance when I get home. Verse 13, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation. I have salvation because he gave me the word of God. I was going to preach today on what you what stands between you and hell. The preaching of gospel stand you'll have to overcome the gospel if you go to hell. You'll have to skip over the gospel if you go to hell. He said we have we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation. In whom, after that ye believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. I'm not going over there for, just for your time's sake. But over there in chapter 4, verse 30, he said, When he sealed us with that Holy Spirit of promise, he has sealed us unto the day of redemption. So, one day as a seven-year-old boy, I... I heard the gospel and played around with it, made a profession, but I did not accept it. I had, I had some ideas, you know, in that day I was under the idea if I, if I would just get baptized, if I could be just like all the other little boys and girls, that would be okay. That wasn't okay. That's what those folks on Mars Hills were doing. They're dancing around the same unknown God statue, offering the same sacrifices with no effect. God got a hold of my heart, brought me down to a place I couldn't eat or sleep. My mother thought I was sick. And that, that Sunday night in August, a little old country church, a little old country preacher, I couldn't tell you what his message was. I came in that night knowing I was lost. I had been baptized. My preacher thought I was saved, and the church thought I was saved. My Sunday school teacher thought I was saved. I sat way back there at the back, back there behind Brother Smith. And I, I couldn't hardly sit still till he got through preaching. I, I just figured if I didn't get saved that night, I never would get saved. He had dealt, I'd tried to play all kinds of games. I, I told him if you'd shoot a shooting star out across the sky, and if I could see it, I'd, I'd be saved right now. He never did do that. If you'd set off a, won't you just set off a skyrocket? Let me see something, Lord. Let me see. If I just knew you were there, I'd be saved. He never did. What he did is he piled a conviction of my sin. Had that little old verse up above my bed said, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I wouldn't even look at it. I hated it. I didn't want to read it. I didn't want to think about it. I tried to duck my head and get in bed because I knew that if I died before I wake, I was not going with, to be with him. And I had done that for five years. 
I was wore out. I was so convicted, I, I just knew I needed the Savior. All I, I, I didn't know much about the Bible. I just knew I needed to be saved. Do you know what? That verse said he already had me picked out. And he was drawing me. And he was preparing me. And that night, just a common old Sunday night that the church was just a little old handful of folks like he is on Sunday nights sometimes. And as soon as he gave the invitation, I came down that aisle weeping. He put his hand on my shoulder, prayed with me. He couldn't understand what I was telling him. He thought I was a church boy, just needed a little encouragement. Sent me back to my seat. I got back there and I, I found, I, about the time I hit my seat, I thought, I'm still not saved. My dad is right over where Brother Harry is. I figured if anybody could get me to heaven, it'd be my dad. I went to my dad. I got a, by the time I got there, they were closing out, having a closing prayer. When, when Dad looked up from prayer, he turned to me and he said, What's the matter with you, Wayne? I said, Dad, I need to be saved, and I need to be saved right now. We wound up in a prayer room back up there in the corner. And half the church was trying to get in the prayer room to pray with us. But about the time my knees hit the ground, I realized the sun had come up. And there was healing in his wings. I mean, he is in my heart. My wife said, where would you get saved at? Well, I don't know if I got saved over here, over there, over there. I don't, I, somewhere along the way, God saved me. I've been saved ever since. I wish you knew the God I know. I wish you'd just turn your pride loose, let down, the, let down your status a little bit, and humble your heart before the God I know. Quit playing church games. Quit joining and being and doing and just let Jesus save your soul. He'll save you with an everlasting salvation. He's already predetermined. He's going to take care of you till the redemption day. The Holy Ghost is here this morning. He wants to do a work. And if you'd let him, you can know the God I know. I mean, if a as ignorant as I am, as country as I, if I could, if he could reach to that 12-year-old nobody up there in the panhandle of Texas, he can reach where you are right here. Right. Would you let him do it while we stand? Father, I pray, God, you'd help us to know the God, God, the, the God that Paul preached, the God that Paul served. I pray you'd help us to know the God who cares about our soul. I pray you'd help us to know, Lord, that salvation so rich and free and that great reward of being able to come into the Beloved day after day, time after time, and have Him renew and strengthen and help us to live for Him. Lord, take charge this morning. Take this, this message has been simple, but I pray, Lord, that you just use it. God, we need Jesus. My family needs Jesus. My friends need Jesus. This church needs Jesus. We need you in the midst right now. And I ask you, God, that you work. Please take charge. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on. God dealing with you. Come on.
we're going to get, we're going to dismiss and quietly go out. Still people praying here. And uh, just pray with them and pray for them as we leave here. Uh, we'll be back in Acts 17 tonight. So. Say thank you, Lord.